If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for your precious word. We pray, Lord, as we come, that you would help us tonight, Lord, to, to understand and to see, Lord, with eyes, spiritual eyes of faith tonight. And Lord, we pray that you'd undertake for us to pray effectively, Lord, knowing the great privilege that we can come to this throne of grace tonight and find help and find mercy in our time of need. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. It's a profound question, but it's a question that's answered. If the foundations, the very foundations, be destroyed, and we all are in agreement, I would say, that we are witnessing the decay of our foundations as a nation. They're crumbling before our very eyes. It seems like the very fabric of our society is completely just crumbling in our, in our very midst. But we are reaping what we've already sown. This hasn't happened in a night, hasn't happened in a day, hasn't happened in a year. This has happened over more even than a generation. And it's important to understand the principle or the laws of God when it comes to sowing and reaping. This nation is reaping what it has sown. And if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we'll reap everlasting life. Proverbs 14 and 34, a well-known verse says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness will exalt the nation. When a nation sows in righteousness, it will reap the blessing of the Lord upon that nation. When Nikki and I first went out to India many years ago, a nation that's just completely, uh, at that time, in great poverty, and riddled with idolatry, the Christian remnant there were very clear on why they were in the condition they were in as a nation. It was because they were an adulterous nation. And they looked at Britain, the United Kingdom, and the Western nations and seen the blessing in a material sense upon them because these nations have sown into the kingdom. They sent out missionaries across the four corners of the world and they stood for that which was right or righteous, and the Lord blessed the nations. So righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we're reaping what we have sown. All was happening. I was reading just over some articles. One article states, and we want to go back a wee bit. Um, I think most of us are maybe born in and around or just after this time. Some of us may have been born before it, but the 60s was a defining moment for this nation, the United Kingdom. We're reaping today what happened in the 1960s. And suppose if, if you're a teenager sitting here in your 20s or even 30s or maybe even 40s, you're saying, well, we weren't even born. We weren't even born in the, in the 60s. What happened or why 
Are you stating what happened in the 60s has an impact in my life? It was critical in the 60s, the laws that this nation made. We are now reaping the consequences of that in this generation and in the generation to come. One article says, and this is maybe hard for some of the younger ones to grasp, if the 50s were in black and white, that simply means the televisions were black and white TVs, not, not the outward color of them. This actual screen was black and white. I don't know if any, anyone ever remember the wee portable ones with the wee turn dial, and you got the black and white picture. Young ones are all gone. <laughs> but if the 50s were black and white, then the 60s were technicolor. It was known as the swinging 60s, but it remained a defining decade for Britain. This is what this lady says. By the 1960s, and this is really important to understand, the first teenage generation free from conscription emerged in Britain. That's like foreign language to us. But the nation had just gone through two world wars. The nation had rose up with the blessing of God to defend against, in the Second World War, a demon-possessed individual called Adolf Hitler, completely possessed of the devil. He had swallowed up most of Europe, and there was the nation of Britain. The Republic of Ireland was neutral, but there was basically the nation of Britain and until 1941 or 42, until America joined the war. It stood alone, but it stood alone on the basis that it was a Christian nation that stood for religious liberty, which stood for God and the blessing of God upon it. And because of that, not because of its great might militarily, but because of the blessing of the Lord and God's people praying, Britain seen a great victory over what was then, we, we can't even grasp it in our generation, but what it was was a rise of one of the most evil men that history has ever seen. And the wickedness that came through that, we've seen the millions of Jews that were slaughtered. We've seen the, 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 the absolute devastation. And conscription ended. And so with this freedom that the nation had received, with the blood of men and women who went out to fight and lay their lives down, this, this would be my grandfather's generation, some of your father's generation, some of your great grandfather's generation and maybe great-great-grandfather's generation, they laid their lives down for us to have the simple liberty of what we have taken privilege to do tonight is come to the house of God on a Wednesday night. That's something that's largely taken for granted. But it's something that was fought for and men gave their lives for that we would have this religious freedom to come and to worship our God. So when the 60s came, a generation were given this freedom. That generation before them paid a heavy price to give us this freedom in the natural. But what really was happening as a nation, that nation stood for their conviction and their principles upon, based upon the word of God. That's why the blessing of the Lord was upon and is upon any nation. Remember, righteousness exalts the nation. So what our fathers fought to give us, we took that freedom 
But the devil's subtle. The devil's subtle and he's crafty. And so the liberty that we had, a religious freedom for the proclamation of the gospel, rather than the nation rising up to go forward with that, our generation arose, called, called it a revolution in the 19th century. That's what it's called. It's called the sexual revolution. It wasn't a revolution. It was a rebellion against God. And it wasn't freedom. It was bondage. And we are now living today with the consequences of the decisions that were made in government in the 1960s. Young people, you're living at the consequences of our forefathers. We are now living as a consequences of the decisions that were made by previous governments. So the 1960s was an age where we wanted to give our young children the freedom to have more fun and to enjoy themselves. That was really the whole point of the 60s. It came with music. It came with fashion. It came with the liberation movements, civil rights movements. Some of those things in themselves weren't necessarily wrong. But you see, the devil's subtle. Even what things seem to be to a point right will evolve into something completely different. The sexual revolution, a movement that challenged the traditional values to use all the levers and its, uh, and its availability to change the agenda. It was very simple what it was. It was demonic and it was antichrist and it's still rising today. But we've gone to new depths. I was going to say new heights, but it's new depths. And we're going deeper. What we're living in today is as a result of the laws that were passed in the 60s. This is so important because these seeds that we're sowing from these seeds then have other branches come from them. So the actual laws that we are seeing trying to be forced into Northern Ireland at the minute are from the seeds that have already been sown back in the 60s. Do you understand what I'm saying? They just haven't happened. So I want to talk just about four important things that happened in the 60s and then bring us through if I could. 1961, the birth control pill became available to everyone. Enoch Powell, anyone ever heard of Enoch Powell? Okay, Enoch Powell was the health minister in 1961, well before our time for most of us. But on this issue, as the health minister, he introduced to the nation the birth control pill. Now that, we might seem, well, we're a million years from that now, sure. This is, what that opened up to a conservative Christian country was, in the sexual revolution, was that young ladies, young men as well, of course, could live and do as they please without the consequences. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know I just won't go too deep with that, but you understand what I'm saying. So it seemed then at the turn of the 1960s with this revolution, that was the introduction of the pill. It all changed again, obviously, just in 1974, just carrying on from that, that 1961, because then family planning clinics were allowed to prescribe uh, single women with the pill. A controversial decision at the time, but now today in our society, uh, non-departmental groups can advise all under 25s 
on birth control outside of the parents' consent, youth clubs, schools, etc., 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 and goes forth like that. That all started in 1961. That's where it started. So another act, 1967, the Abortion Act came in. This is an important one. Abortion remains a crime under the 1861 Offences Act against the Person Act. David Steele, anyone ever heard of David Steele? He's actually still alive. David Steele, I've just done a bit of research on David Steele. He's a Scottish politician, head of the Liberal Party. His father was a Presbyterian minister. They were missionaries in the Congo. Missionaries in the Congo. David Steele, his father, when they came back to Scotland, David Steele became a politician. And it was David Steele in 1967 that brought this act, the Abortion Act, to liberate women's rights. Up until then, it had been a crime. And then they introduced this act. Abortion can take place up to 24 weeks. Now, they will use terms like this is a mass of cells or fetus, but this is a baby. This is a human being. The Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has created us. And so since this act has been brought in 1967, Statistics tell us, according to Christian Institute and other uh, great organizations that are there campaigning for uh, the, the babies, right? Nine million babies have been aborted or terminated. That's 15,000 babies every week in Great Britain. For every three babies born, one is aborted. In Great Britain, abortion is generally allowed for socio-economic reasons during the first 24 weeks of the pregnancy. It's the highest such limit in the EU together with the Netherlands. And so we see that nine, nine million babies have been terminated since 1967. That's an awesome statistic. Also in 1967... There was another act, it's called the Sexual Offences Act. It's an act of Parliament in the United Kingdom. It decriminalised homosexual acts in private between two men, both of whom had to have attained the age of 21. The act applied only to England and Wales, did not cover the Merchant Navy or the Armed Forces. Homosexual activity was decriminalised in Scotland in 1980 and in Northern Ireland by the Homosexual Offences Order in 1982. We're going to come back to this in a minute. So that's the 60s, 61, 2 and 67. And then another one which is relevant to today is the Divorce Reform Act 1969. So in this, the 1857 Act introduced divorce through the court. Men were able to petition the court for a divorce on the basis of their wife's adultery. It was based on scripture the reasons for divorce. At the minute you'll hear going through the Parliament, there is a Divorce, Dissolution and Separation Bill 2017 that's being put through currently, that's being passed. It is, it is dangerous. And, and Russia found this out. Russia actually reversed this act under the communist rule. They tried to obliterate or take out marriage from society and actually reversed it and brought it back in again, realizing the damage that it would do to the whole fabric of their society. We're about to do it. What it simply means is under the existing law, 
One of five facts must be proven to show that the marriage is broken down. These include like adultery. But these five facts will be scrapped. The new system will simply allow someone to walk away. So you don't take any responsibility <coughs> for your actions. It wrecks homes. It wrecks families. But it wrecks the foundations of a society. And this is sailing through our liberal Westminster at the moment. Just for a moment, the Sexual Offences Act of 1967, when I say what we have sown, we're reaping. So from that act, we found uh, out to our cost here in Northern Ireland, the Civil Partners Act came into play in 2004. Anybody remember that? Seems like a lifetime away. Then we were promised that it wouldn't go any further that would protect the churches. It wouldn't have any impact upon your life. We had nothing to fear. We had nothing to worry. We're all getting too excited about it. Remember all the talk from David Cameron and all the likes? Well, the Civil Partnership Act came into force as a result because of the 1967, uh, the Homosexual Act that was brought in 1967. That was to allow same-sex couples to obtain essentially the same rights and responsibilities as civil marriage. Monday the 19th of December 2005, the first civil marriage took place. Where did it take place? Anybody remember? It took place in the City Hall in Belfast. That's significant because where we're going at the moment is, is important to know that. And there's a reason behind it spiritually. I believe there's a spiritual reason behind it. So that led to then in uh, 2013, the Marriage Same-Sex Couples Act that came in, same-sex marriage. So we've moved from civil partnership, wouldn't go any further, everyone, nothing to fear. Then David Cameron wasn't in their manifesto, nobody had mentioned it. All of a sudden he decides, just out of the blue of course, that this would be a great thing to do, same-sex marriage in England and Wales. So this was to allow, by law, two men or two women that can marry, have the full endorsement of Parliament and enshrined in UK law. What they put into that law was a quadruple lock to protect churches. Now, that lock was simply, one of them was this, it explicitly states that no religious organization can be compelled by any means to opt in to marry same-sex couples to permit this to happen on their premises. No religious organization or representative can be compelled by any means to conduct religious ceremonies for same sex couples. That was the amendment or the quadruple, one of the quadruple locks that they put into the law to protect churches in England and Wales uh, when they brought in the Marriage Same-Sex Couples Act in 2013. There's a law that Parliament has just passed in the Northern Ireland Act. Now, to spur you all the detail, same-sex marriage and abortion has nothing to do with the Northern Ireland Act. This is simply to do with our parliament. And when we don't agree and we don't have a parliament together, they operate this act to keep things ticking over. But two members, Conor McGinn, I think was one, originally from South Armagh, and another MP, these are English MPs, Stella Gracie, they have both put in amendments to that bill. One is for same-sex marriage to be introduced to Northern Ireland through the back door. 
One of these laws was brought in 37 minutes before it went to the chamber. Wasn't, there was no consultation. It was supposed to be put out to consultation. It is also a right for the devolved administration to bring that in. It's our right to do that ourselves or not, but they're going to go over Parliament's head to do that. So we see the wickedness and we see how they're operating to bring these things in. But this law that they'll bring in is important. Christian Institute have a wee clip video here for like 30 seconds. This is what they say concerning this law that they're trying to pass. A seismic cultural shift has been railroaded through in less than a week, and it's been done without consultation or, frankly, consideration for the people of Northern Ireland. And it leaves us in a situation where there could be far fewer protections for free speech and religious liberty there than in the rest of the UK. So, for example, in England and Wales, there's clear provisions in the legislation to say that you're free to criticise same-sex marriage and that you can't force a church minister to perform a same-sex wedding. And Scotland has similar protections. As it stands, these are not extended to Northern Ireland. That's the reality of where we are. What we're saying is there is no protection for your religious freedom or your conscience based on God's word. If that's the case, then as civil partnership was the first to happen in Belfast City Hall, then it is quite likely or possible that Northern Ireland could be the first place in the United Kingdom to see ministers imprisoned for preaching the truth of God's word. That's on October the 22nd. It's just there. The Abortion Act of 1967, it is estimated that because of the good God-fearing laws like this that were brought in pre that Abortion Act to protect the baby and the mother, it is estimated that 100,000 babies have been saved in Northern Ireland. There's 100,000 people alive today that wouldn't be alive. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. God's a God of life, isn't he? Yeah. This law is shocking. Both laws were added to that Northern Ireland Act. These babies are fearfully and wonderfully made and on the 22nd of October, unless there's an intervention supernaturally by God, these laws will come become our laws through the back door. And we will be subject to those laws. Romans chapter 13 is an important chapter because it concerns government. Romans chapter 13, if you turn to it, it concerns government. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This is speaking of governments, okay? For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. In other words, God raises up, God pulls down. God is sovereign. God is on his throne. God is over all kingdoms. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. In other words, to rise up in civil disobedience, you're resisting, this is important for us to know this, we're resisting the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. Now verse 3 is a crucial verse in this. For rulers or your government, Westminster, 
are not a terror to good works. In other words, their duty is to govern according to God's word. So good works are not a terror to the government unless the government changes when they call that which is good evil and that which is evil good. That's where we are. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power to do that which is good? And thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. So we see that these powers are ordained of God and they are the ministers of God to do thee good. But if thou that but if thou that do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. This is important because the history of the church is this. We have a wonderful freedom in this country. The church, this church, Christ's church, is separated from state. It doesn't control us. But when the state start to legislate laws that are going to control or tell you what you should believe, there's something going to happen. You know what it is? It's happened for hundreds of years. Persecution. Persecution. Now, I know a lot of people in the West and the Western church could never imagine the thought that persecution against the church of Jesus Christ could ever happen in Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom, the Bible belt of Europe for God and for Ulster. It could never happen here. It could never happen in the United States of America because we are the, the pillars of truth in the world. And a lot of that I do agree with. But I believe that persecution is coming. The remnant, those that believe the Bible, love the Lord, stand for truth with the laws that are going to be brought in by this government who are changing the law of God, who are changing that so they will dictate to your conscience what you are supposed to believe. You cannot believe that homosexuality is a sin. That is against the law. That's what they'll come to. Brothers and sisters, at that point, what happens is because we do recognize government and authority, we'll not raise up with arms, swords, guns, and tanks, but we'll pray like Daniel when the decree was made. What did he do? He just opened up the window. He let out the mat. He praised the Lord and gave thanks like he did all other times, and he just continued on with his God. There's a consequence. Here's the good news. When the government rise up against the church in such fashion, here's, here's the history. Every time the church has risen up triumphant, every time, every single time, China, Russia, across this world, you'll see that the church rises out of that triumphant. But there is persecution. There is severe persecution. There is imprisonment. There is that people will lose their homes, lose their right to meet in this fashion. It is possible. 
that this could happen here. And so we see here that there's a clash coming between the wickedness in high places that's working through the government and the remnant church. Many church denominations are falling for it. They're signing up to it. It's going to be easier to bring in that a church must marry same-sex couples because so many denominations are signing it over. But then there's going to be a remnant. Listen, I've got a license to marry. But let me tell you something. That license will never be used to marry a same-sex couple. Never. They can take my license. Get married quick, Emma. <laughs> and anyone else thinking about it? If you want me to do it like that is, you know me. <laughs> if the foundations be destroyed, what can we do then? That's what the Bible asks. What do we do? Well, it says in verse 4, it answers it for us, doesn't it? Psalm 11, verse 4. First thing we need to do, we need to look to God. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne's in the heaven. Praise the Lord. God's on the throne. His eyes behold. He sees it all. Sees it all. All the wickedness. See all the wee maneuverings in the chambers, down the corridors, all the backhand deals. Personally, I believe that there's an awful lot of dirty tricks going on between our, par our parliamentarians and Westminster. I believe, I'm not going to mention any names, but I believe they're, they're at it. Sure you know. I mean, you got to... They think we're thick, but we're, we might be, but we can spiritually discern it. It's just a show. Honestly, it is. Thank God for those that stand for righteousness, and some will. Some will stand up. Some will speak. I'm going to tell you something. See, party politics, it's a dirty, wicked game. And there's backhanders everywhere. But the Lord's on the throne. And his eyelids, his eyes behold. In other words, they can do all this, and the Lord sees it all. Nothing's hid from him. His eyelids try the children of men, the Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked, and him that loveth violence, and the violence, is there anything more violent? Is there anything more violent than what they do to that wee baby? In Psalm chapter 2, just a few chapters before, it says these words. Why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a faint thing. Psalm 2 verse 1. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's his anointed? If you're saved, you're the anointed. And his anointed. Let us break their bands. That's what they say. Let us break their bands asunder. Cast away their cords from us. Let us get rid of this righteous restraint that was upon this nation. Let us get rid of these God people these Bible-believing Christians. Let's get rid of them all once and for all. <laughs> and the Lord's sitting in the heavens and he's laughing. He sitteth in the heavens and he laughs. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in a sword of pleasure. Yet have I set my king, that's Jesus, upon my holy hill of Zion. Friends, what's the Lord doing? 
He's laughing. But he's not just going to laugh. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What can we do? We need to look to God. Number two, what else do we need to do? Romans chapter 13, into that chapter again. Towards the end, Romans 13, verse 11. Romans 13 and verse 11. It says these words. And that, knowing the time. Now what we've tried to do tonight is make you aware of what time it is. I'm not talking about it's coming up to 8.30 and I preach for a half an hour. Hopefully he's going to sit down soon. I'm talking about the spiritual time. I'm talking about being awakened to the time. You see, what happens in the last days, men eat, drink and be merry and just look after themselves. But a remnant know what time it is. Know what they do? They wake up. They wake up to the spiritual hour in which we're in, that it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not riding and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We need to look to God. But number two, brothers and sisters, and you hear it often and regular, but you're going to hear it often and regular. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Why am I awake? Are you really awake? Number three, what else can we do? We need to pray. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, because often we don't know what we do. I support the campaigns and putting letters in and, and you get on the WhatsApp circuit, so we thing to sign. And I, I believe we need to do that. That's engaging in the political sphere. But here's the most important thing we need to do. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, For we wrestle, so our battle is not against flesh and blood. What I'm saying is, our battle is not against 60,000 people marching in Belfast. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's wickedness, it's sin, it's shameful, it brings judgment on our nation, but our battle is not those people. Do you know why we're here? We're here to pray those people into the kingdom. We're here to see them saved. So we have to make sure that we don't fall into... Do you know the Bible says, such were some of you? Isn't that right? Well, you might say, well, I was never involved in that sin. But you're, you know, we categorize sins. Aren't we so good at it? Well, you know, I was a paramilitary. It wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? That's what we say. Isn't that what you hear in church? God, forgive us. If God can save a paramilitary or a drunk or a prostitute or a drug addict, and he can save a homosexual and a transgender and whatever else we're, they're going to make up in these last days, surely the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the power of God on the salvation, and it saves men and women, sets them free. So we can't fall into the... This is what happens in Ulster, that that sin and... This sin, and we create all this sin. We're not really as bad as them. Let me tell you, we came out of the most horriblest pit. That's what the Bible says. We were once wretched, blind, without hope, without Christ, and Jesus saved us. And let me tell you, if he saves us, he can save anyone. 
And the day we think something different than our thinking, we've got a problem with spiritual pride. That's what that is. And we've lost the value of this salvation. All we once were sinners. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. And so it's important that we see that our battle is not flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the corridors of Westminster. That's where it is. It's wicked. And in the corridors of Stormont, it's wicked. The deals that they do behind backs, it's wicked. It's a spiritual wickedness. Now, what's the answer? We need to pray. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Brothers and sisters, the evil day is here. We're not waiting on it. It's come. We're in it. And having done all to stand in, verse 18 is what it says. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We need to pray. We need to look to God. We need to wake up. And we need to pray. And there's no time better to pray than now. Pray for our nation. Pray against the wickedness that are trying to bring these laws in. Pray for a miracle. Brothers and sisters, I still believe in a supernatural God that he would send derision and confusion in the enemy's camp and these laws would be brought to nothing. To stand up for Jesus. To make a stand for the Lord and to pray. Church, we need to pray. We need to call on God for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray against spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to awaken. Let me tell you something. When the foundations are destroyed, what we do? God's on the throne. And we can come to him tonight and seek his face. Let's pray together tonight. Bring it all to the Lord. In Jesus' name.